So 16 to 30, and we can find that in our church Bibles on page 986. So rich and the kingdom of God. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, It is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you have followed me, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. That's great. Thank you very much, Julian. And let's pray. Actually, I'm too tall, aren't I? Let's have a look. Yeah, let's pray together. Well, thank you for the word of God, and thank you for our Lord Jesus, and for his teaching here. And we pray you'd help us to get this. Please help us to get with our minds and with our hearts, and to put it into practice. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Um, At the Oscars last year... Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway uh, announced that La La Land had won the Oscar for Best Picture. Uh, They had a round of acceptance speeches uh, before someone realized that they'd just made the worst mistake in the history of the Oscars. uh, Because the Best Picture Oscar actually didn't go to La La Land, um, but to Barry Jenkins' drama Moonlight. Uh, and, and what happened was, um, La La Land's producer, Jordan Horowitz, uh, in the end, there he is holding up the card, which, I don't know if you can read it, but it actually says that uh, uh, Moonlight has won the Oscar and not La La Land. How embarrassing was that? Uh, 
Now, I think it'll be a bit like that on the last day when Jesus comes to judge the world. Because there'll be many, many people uh, expecting to receive the prize, the most coveted prize of all. Not an Oscar, something far more important than that, the prize of eternal life. And uh, uh, you might think, you know, going up to receive it, an acceptance speech all prepared and all that. And then someone comes up and says, I'm really sorry, you haven't got it. In fact, it wasn't about you in the first place. It's not that you've made a mistake, but actually, you've made the biggest mistake of your life. In fact, I'm really sorry, but you've made the biggest mistake of your death. And Jesus told a story about eternal life here. And his point is this. It's not about you. Eternal life, it really is not about you. Well, in Jesus' story here, uh, there's a young man. And he thought it was all about him. He's very self-centered. Look at verse 16 here. Uh, A man came up. We found a little bit later on that he's... uh, a uh, young guy, and he's rich, came up to Jesus and said, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Then Jesus replied, and, and then in verse 20, all these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? And Jesus said uh, in verse 21 there, uh, if you want to be perfect, and you need to be, if you're going to earn eternal life, if you want to be perfect, then uh, go Sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. And he says, you've got to be perfect. But unfortunately, you have one big problem. And for you, for this guy, uh, your wealth is a barrier to eternal life. It's not a barrier to everyone, but it was a barrier to this particular guy. So he says to him, if you want to inherit eternal life, You've got to go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. And this is a tragic story. It's a terrible story. Because look at verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. That young guy had one idol and it sent him to hell. That's what Jesus is teaching us this evening. Just one, it dominated his life. And it's a huge challenge to us because um, Jesus asks us the same question. Do you have maybe just one idol which comes between you and God? It needn't, this isn't really a story about wealth so much. But it's saying, do you have one idol, even just the one, which gets between you and God, between you and eternal life? Now, this follows on from last week's passage. Last week, looking at little children and Jesus there. And uh, uh, little children depend on other people. Little children are, by definition, young and pretty incapable. And then it's interesting because the very next verse, Jesus then goes on and, and tells about this young man, this rich young guy, young, rich, and confident. And he comes to Jesus to ask about eternal life. Not like a little child anymore. He would have been a few years before. But now he's a rich guy. He's wealthy. He's confident. 
He thinks it's all about him. And he's grown up and he's kind of got it made. And life has become all about him. And he's got this one idol. Now we're going to see in a little bit that they wouldn't have thought it was an idol. Uh, They would have thought it was a sign of God's blessing. But it's a tragic story as he walks away sad, unwilling to give up his idol, unwilling to become like a little child. You see, eternal life is not about you, what you've done, the stuff you've achieved, what you've earned, all the rest of it. It's not about your potential. It's not about your abilities. It's not about your exam results. It's just not about you. It's all about God. So let's look at this a little bit more detail. And the first point, you sit on the back of the sheets as well. And uh, young, rich and confident, is that you? Well, eternal life's not about you in that way. Now, you could say about this young man, he had three particular problems. One, he was rich. Two, he was confident. And uh, uh, he was young, he was one. One, he was young. Two, he was rich. And three, he was confident. And he has to learn that eternal life is not about us and what we do. And uh, uh, but we tend to admire the young, the rich, and the confident, don't we? The celebrities. They tend to be young, rich, and confident, don't they? Or say the sportsmen and the sportswomen who retire as multimillionaires, age 30. But look at this guy. He's young, and he's pretty naive. He's pretty naive. He hasn't lived much life. So a young man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Wrong question. I mean, assuming there is something you can do to earn eternal life is pretty naive. And he also, he's also, he's pretty dull, isn't he? Because he says here, what good thing, singular, must I do to inherit eternal life? So he obviously thought, I'm almost there. There's just one more thing I've got to do, then it'll be mine, and it'll all be my doing. I mean, that's pretty naive. That's pretty dull, isn't it? And it's all about him. And the more you look at verse 16, the worse it gets. He's young and he's clueless. And it turns out in verse 22, he's rich, it says there as well. Confident to the point of arrogance. And so Jesus, verse 17, why do you ask me about what's good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Now that sounds straightforward until you think about it. And this guy obviously hasn't really thought about it. You keep the commandments. Uh, there's, not, there's no limitations there, okay? He's just saying keep the commandments, as in all the time, all your life, to perfection. Keep the commandments. Mind, word, and actions. Keep the commandments. Do you really think you can keep the commandments? Well, look at verse 18. How smug is this? Which ones? He inquired. You know, as in, oh, of course I keep the commandments. And Jesus replied, and he says, verses commands 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. No idea why he chose those. Some people think they've got an idea. I haven't got a clue. Jesus said 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. Oh, and by the way, there's also that, that uh, command in Leviticus 19 and verse 18 uh, about um, loving your neighbor as yourself. And uh, And the guy replies, all these I have kept. Really? And then he says, what do I still lack? You can't believe how smug and arrogant this guy's getting. I, 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 it's all about him. Who are you kidding? Really? You're young, you're rich, you're confident, you're arrogant, you're ignorant, ignorant, and you're incredibly stupid to think that there's just one more thing you might be able to do and you've kept all the commandments. You're joking. You're off your rocker. 
please, sometimes you just need to stop and have a think about the stuff that you say. The guy's young. It's a big problem, okay? Because he hasn't thought about stuff. He has no idea what he's saying. Sorry, he's being a bit harsh on him, but he is pretty clueless, isn't he? Now, his particular problem is that Jesus knows him inside out. And his particular problem is that Jesus knows he's got this issue with wealth. Yours may be different, but as J.C. Ryle, I'm going to quote J.C. Ryle two or three times tonight, because uh, he's written some really good stuff, and uh, Stephen quoted him last week as well. Good guy. Uh, we'll see a picture of him in a minute if you can't remember what he looks like. Anyway, J.C. Ryle said this, it, or he wrote it, Everyone who wishes to be saved, do you wish to be saved? I hope you do. Everyone wishes to be saved, he said, must have private, personal dealings with Christ about their own soul. Now, if that happened with you, if you had a private, personal dealing with Christ about your own soul, what do you think he'd want to talk to you about? If you're not a Christian... What stops you from becoming a Christian? If you are a Christian, what stops you from going on in your Christian life? Maybe one thing. For this guy here, there was Jesus pinpointed one thing, didn't he? And sometimes those are things that need to be talked about and prayed about and uh, uh, get help with and so on. Perhaps with, uh, with other people, maybe with someone who's here tonight. And Jesus said to his disciples, verse 23, truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not impossible, not impossible at all. Plenty of rich people in the kingdom of heaven, but it's hard, Jesus says. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, and that's pretty tricky, and uh, uh, there's a, there was a kind of a needle gate in Jerusalem that a camel couldn't possibly get through. So you may have been thinking about that. Uh, than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus teaches us about wealth. He does. And he says that rich people, yeah, they can become Christians, but it's hard. That's what Jesus says here. Wealth can get in the way. It demands our attention. It makes us think we don't need God. We're successful. We're rich. All the world's looking up to us. Therefore, we don't really need God, did we? The trouble with wealth is it can define you. And it can deceive you. And it can devote you. In other words, you can get devoted to it. It can define you. So, you know, you might say, she is wealthy. And that kind of defines her life because she's got a load of money. And uh, uh, it's not... Yeah, the truth is, we shouldn't really define people by the fact they've got lots of money. The thing, you can say, she is a Christian, that defines someone, but not the fact that they've got lots of money. That does not, but that's the way we tend to think, isn't it? It defines us, it's a wealthy person. And wealth can deceive you into thinking that you're okay in life. It can deceive you into thinking you're going to be okay in eternity when you're not. Here's J.C. Ryle. That's a serious beard. Good stuff. And um, uh, here's another quote from him. Riches, they often inflict great injury on the soul. They lead people into many temptations. 
They engross people's thoughts and affections. They bind heavy burdens on the heart and make the way to heaven more difficult than it naturally is. Not impossible, but more difficult. And then the third thing is wealth devotes you. In other words, you just get yourself devoted to it. It it becomes addictive, so you never have sufficient. You're always looking to the next richer person and wanting to be like them and so on. Um, In the Church of England, we have something called a litany, which is a great big long prayer, which uh, is used, I would imagine, very occasionally in C of E churches. There is one little bit, which I think is very telling. So this is a prayer that we could use in our services here. This is part of it, and and here's just a little sentence. Uh, In all time of our wealth, and then everyone says, good Lord, deliver us. In all time of our wealth, good Lord, deliver us. So what's the easiest problem to, uh, solution rather, to a problem of wealth? Well, Jesus said to this guy, give it away. So where's your treasure? If wealth is not your treasure, you may be wealthy, but it's not your treasure. And it's not a particular problem, is it? And also, wealth can be your treasure even when you don't have much. So it isn't just something for for wealthy people. We can treasure things without having them. You can treasure your bedroom. And the whole of your parents' home, you could treasure your car, even though your mum and dad own it and insure it. Uh, Or maybe you own it and they insure it. That's usually what happens, isn't it? Um, Or you can uh, uh, treasure your holidays that your mum and dad buy. And underneath it all, you're thinking, that's a lifestyle I want when I'm older. It is your treasure. You experience it, although it's not actually belonged to you yet. Or maybe uh, you're around my age. You're an empty nester. Uh, Anna and I went to Crete on holiday in September. It was lovely. And uh, uh, but I'm not at all sure we'll be able to have such holidays when we're both retired. And sometimes I find myself thinking, hmm, that would be a shame, wouldn't it? Treasure? Treasure? So here's a young man, young, rich, confident, arrogant, smug, and he has the tragedy of one thing which keeps him from eternal life. Jesus is not saying this is the thing that keeps everyone from eternal life, let's be clear about that. But for him, he's rich, and it's his God, and he won't give it up. We need to know that eternal life is not about us, not what we can buy, not what we can purchase, not what we achieve, not what we do. We can't earn it. It is given to us by God. And the second thing, goodbye J.C. Ryle, and here comes the second point. Oh, we're back to there, so I should have wound it on, shouldn't I? Here's the second point. Goodbye, nice car. And uh, here's the second point. Older poor and unsure well it is about you now let me explain that because i don't think that's particularly clear what's it mean the young man here was young brash a bit shallow needs to think a bit more deeply about stuff needs to understand that some of the things he says are just plain dull and uh and now look at verse 25 when the disciples heard this 
about Jesus saying how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, they were greatly astonished and asked, well, who can be saved? Now, let's be clear about this. The the disciples weren't raising an eyebrow here. They were open-mouthed. Their jaw was on the floor, okay? They'd been brought up and they'd been taught with their mother's milk that actually, if you're wealthy, it's a sign of God's blessing. It's a real measure how rich you are of how much God has blessed you. Wealth is spiritually good for you. That's what they've been taught all their lives. And now Jesus here is saying, actually wealth can be a stumbling block. And for this guy, it was such a big stumbling block. At the moment, tragically, he's flat on his face. And so the disciples are quite unsure now. Look at the end of verse 25. Who then can be saved? In other words, if you're wealthy... If you're so obviously blessed by God, as they thought, and heaven is still going to be hard to get into, then who can get into heaven? If even the blessed people don't get in, what's all that about? Jesus is saying, you're turning our world upside down. And verse 26 is the key here. First of all, verse 26, Jesus looked at them. Now, let's be clear about this. Uh, when it says Jesus looked at them, they've been quite aggressive in verse 25, okay? And Jesus doesn't just look at them. In the original, it's basically saying, Jesus stares them down. So he looks them in the eye, and he pauses, and he goes round the group of them, and he wants them to know what he's about to say is very, very serious. He's staring at them. And he says in verse 26, with man, this is impossible. The kingdom of heaven is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. We need to turn to God for ourselves, for our friends, for our family, for those we're working with. And remember the kingdom of God, eternal life, it's for it's like the older people who've kind of thought things through a bit more. That's what I mean. Not necessarily older people. Of course, it's for young people. But you've got to think things through. You've got to understand that, you know, don't be, don't be stupid. Don't be daft about some of the things you say and you think. That's what I mean by older, okay? And poor. Poor in spirit. Those who remember the spiritual dangers of wealth. Those who, if they feel that is getting in the way, will want to do something to get out of that uh, that difficulty. And the unsure. You see, the disciples here are unsure about themselves. They're saying, Jesus, this is a serious problem. We're beginning to get this, Jesus, and you're turning our world upside down. This is really quite difficult. So they're a bit unsure, and they're saying, look, we need to go to Jesus. Because they're realizing here they haven't any ability of their own to warrant any acceptance by God whatsoever. And Jesus says, with man this is impossible, so it's okay to be unsure. But with God, all things are possible, even getting you to heaven. All things are possible. But turn to God. And in verse notice, uh, in the third thing here, Third thing here is to notice this. Uh, it is about the future. 
We're talking about the future here. This isn't just, it is about the here and now, but it isn't just about the here and now, which is uh, partly why wealth is a huge diversion, because you can't take it with you. So, you know, if you're just totally engrossed with wealth now, you think about the present, don't you? But actually eternal life, okay, it begins now, but we're talking about heaven, we're talking about the future, we're talking about eternity. So there's a future focus here. So in verse 27, you notice the the future focus uh, that Peter says, we've left everything to follow you, what then will there be for us? And then Jesus talks about the renewal of of all things in verse 28. That's the end of the world, guys. Uh, The introduction of the new, or if you like, the renewed heaven and earth. And when he talks about 12 thrones, this gets a bit, uh, uh, you know, I wonder what on earth all this is about. But he talks there in verse 28. Truly, I tell you, the renewal of all things... New, new heaven and new earth, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, that's Jesus, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now the 12 thrones, I think that's talking about the thrones that you read about in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 4. There it talks about 24 thrones, and it's talking about the whole people of God, 12 tribes of the Old Testament, 12 apostles of the New Testament, all together in heaven, reigning with Jesus. So when he's talking to the New Testament, um, his team, New Testament team and 12 thrones, that's what he's talking about. In heaven, seated, ruling and there with Jesus. Now, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, I haven't got a clue what that's about. And I was really encouraged when I read one commentary. It said this, it's impossible to be certain what this means in detail. So that made me very encouraged, okay? Um, Now, judging could be ruling. I think it's likely, if I, if I had to uh, come down on one side or the other, I think it's likely what, he's, what Jesus means is that our faith, your faith, my faith, judges the unbelieving tribes of Israel. In other words, our faith says to them, that's what you need to do, or that's what you needed to do. Oh, I might be wrong. Can't be sure. I don't really know. Just a suggestion. Tell me if I'm wrong later on. Verses 29 and 30. They're speaking of Christian commitment and why wealth mustn't ever be our God now. You know, it's always worth giving up stuff to follow Jesus. Always. You know, giving up holiday to help on Fullmark, be part of the team. Always worth doing things like that. Or whatever it would be. Um, uh, Another guy said uh, this, I was reading this uh, last week. Was it Hudson Taylor? Who said, he was the guy who went off to China. He was called to do that on Brighton Beach. Brighton Beach is a horrible place, isn't it? But good things happen there, okay? So, was it Hudson Taylor who said uh, they'd never succeeded in making a sacrifice for God? Every time he gave up anything for God, he found so much blessing that he felt himself better off rather than worse off for having given up whatever it was. And that's the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about here. In terms of our life in time, and as we think of following Jesus, uh, we see the end in verse 20, at the end of verse 29, um, and we'll inherit eternal life. So that's pretty good too, isn't it? It's worth it now, and it's worth it in eternity. And then look in verse 30. 
Many who are first will be last, and many who are the last will be first. A word about athletics. Now, you know there are different distances in athletics, and with this we're going to close. Yeah? So, for instance, Rio Olympics. Do you know who that is? I'm sure Richard Naruka knows. Yeah? I don't know how you pronounce his Christian name. Elihud? Eliud? Kipchoge, anyway. Well, actually, he says it's Kipchoge on his shirt. He's from Kenya, and he won the marathon, okay? Um, and uh, great stuff. Yeah, you might... Oops, there we are. There he is. I'm getting sloshed about in the Rio marathon. And uh, that, no, no idea? It says on his shirt, B-O-L-T. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's uh, Usain Bolt winning the 100 metres at Rio. Had a bad start, came through blisteringly quickly, and we were all very relieved, weren't we? And uh, now, my point is this. Can you imagine Usain Bolt running the marathon? What time would he do, do you think? Under three hours? That'd be pretty good, wouldn't it? What about Kipchoge? Can you imagine him doing a sprint? How far behind would he be at the fishing, finishing line? Maybe five metres? Ten? Twenty? Now, you see, the thing is, the training for 100 metres is entirely different from the training that you need to run a marathon, isn't it? You train for your event. What's your event? You see, our event is not to be wealthy or worldly success in any other way. Our event is not to be at the top of our profession. We may get there, it may happen, but it's not our event. Our event is eternal life. So train for it. Train for it. We train for it through the reading of God's word, through our prayers, through being here, through serving, through loving one another, through sacrificial service and so on. We train for it. If you're going in for a marathon, you train for a marathon. If you're going in for 100 meters, you train for 100 meters. And our event is eternal life. Do make sure you train for it. Yes, of course, there are other things in life that we train for. Maybe you do the Brighton Marathon. Of course, you train for your profession, for your career and so on. Of course you do. But make sure you train for the most important one of all. Our event is eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, there are some sometimes quite hard to hear things in your words. And we pray, Lord, that as you've spoken to us tonight, so you'd help us to take these things on board. And that you would help us to put things into practice. Lord, if there is maybe one thing which we know is keeping us from you or keeping us from real commitment to you, like this rich young guy here. Pray, Lord, you'd help us not to just walk away, but to do what we know we need to do. For Jesus' sake. Amen.